Hello and welcome to Goblet of Wine, a drunken Harry Potter podcast. I'm Charlie. And I'm Hannah and we're two 20-somethings rereading our favourite childhood book, but this time with added alcohol, cynicism and a film. Yeah, we're, we're not reading shit this episode. We are watching the third film and discussing our thoughts on it. Uh, we break it down into plot cast cinematography mm-hmm. and adaption yep we so, get yeah. quite nitpicky so if you like that kind of stuff keep listening yep grab a glass and uh So, before we get into this episode, I've got a really quick announcement to make. So, if you follow us on social media or you're part of our Patreon, then you will know that we have a very exciting Patreon House Cup. Yes, we do. It gets competitive. It gets so competitive. So, basically, how it works, if you're a member of our $2 and up Patreon, you get added into a Discord group chat that has us on it and a load of other amazing human beings, as well as a guy called Nathan. Um, (laughs) My favourite running joke. Basically, this is a place where everyone chats together and it's super amazing. You get sorted into your house, so you get to set that yourself. And basically, every time you message, you get a random between one and three house points. Yeah, depending on what mood Charlie's in, she can apparently randomly assign house points, which seems like a broken system. Yeah, I was abusing it at first and was giving people house points for complimenting me, but then they got shouted down. This is a democracy. They made me stop that. So now the house point system is unbiased. And what we're doing is every time we finish a season, or I think now we're on to the big boy books, we may have to uh, do maybe like half a season. That is the end of the year house cup and we will announce what house has won who the i've taken to calling it head human is yes because head boy or head girl you know if we have any non-binary patrons pretty reductionist exactly so who the head head human human is which is creepy at all (laughs) the head human uh is the person with the overall amount of house biggest amount of house points and then also the prefix for each house which is the person from each house with the most points is that different from the head person because the head human will be the winner also the yes so the head human will also be a prefect i understand yes so there has been (laughs) not yet okay there has been a lot of build up to this it's been about six months in the making. Bearing in mind, I probably will pull a Dumbledore where if Slytherin hasn't won, I'm going to give us loads of points no. at the last minute. So in fourth place and the house with the least amount of house points, to absolutely no one's surprise, it is Ravenclaw <laughs> with 2,357 points. We just... No no one from Ravenclaw Ravenclaw likes us. No, no, we don't have many Ravenclaw patrons and the ones we do have aren't as active in the chat. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I think that Ravenclaw just like smart people know better than to like our podcast. Very true. But saying that, they've actually now overtaken Gryffindor. Gryffindor has the least amount of people. Oh. So if you're the fort. Yeah, if you are Ravenclaw, then <laughs> please sign up to help make your house. Your house is losing. Come on, and, Ravenclaw. And not by a little bit, by a lot. Because, because so, in third place. In third place with. 11,000. Oh my god! 743 points. Bearing in mind that Ravenclaw was on 2,000, so that's that's a large margin. Yes, it is. In third place is Gryffindor! Oh no! There aren't as many Gryffindors. 
Gryffindor's in the chat either. Exactly. And I don't, I'm not very good in the chat. <laughs> uh, Spoiler, I take long periods when I'm not there, then we'll suddenly talk a lot one night. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't help our house. Someone help me. Yeah. Someone, my Gryffindor's come to me. No, only Slytherin. Yes. So now for the main event, the house that has won the book three house cup is Hufflepuff. Hey! <laughs> Everyone knew it was going to happen. Yes. With 24,239 points. That's a lot of points. That is a lot of points. But you know what's surprising? No. The head human is not from Hufflepuff. Whoa. Dun, dun, dun. A huge congratulations to our head human who at some point when we do merch, we will sort out some kind of small prize for you. Our wonderful head human. It's Nathan. Charlie's favourite person. <laughs> He's a murderer, guys. You've got to join the Discord to understand this running joke. Come yeah. on. So that means that Nathan is officially the prefect for Gryffindor until, I guess, until we finish book four. Gryffindor? Yeah. And he was head human, but we still came third. Yes. Gryffindor's be more active. <laughs> I know. Oh my gosh. Like he single-handedly, if it wasn't for him, you would lost. I'm terrible. Yes. <laughs> I'm a liability. You are. So then another huge congratulations to our other prefects. For Hufflepuff, we have Melissa. Congratulations. For Ravenclaw, we have Reese. And for Slytherin, we have Phoebe. Yay! So everyone will get a new Discord role, uh, whether you're a prefect or Nathan, the head human. Oh um, gosh, it's going to go straight to his head. It, it, it is. <laughs> He's the head human. And d- there's basically, there is absolutely no advantage to being a prefect right now, aside Just from bragging rights. Bragging but I'm going to try and work out maybe some kind of extra abilities within the group chat. Yeah, we're still learning how Discord works. So if anyone's a pro at it let us know and now this means that from now season four or season two of the house cup because it's only the second time we've done it but for season four of the podcast the house cup is open it's just begun so if you want to get the biggest advantage now is the best time to join yeah the points have been reset reset. everyone is starting from zero so and i am halfway through the leaderboard because on the day you reset it i was active in the chat (laughs) yes hannah is doing you're peaking now basically (laughs) um Um, yeah so if you want to help out Slytherin uh, please no one else from any other houses Gryffindor but yeah you can join for as little as two dollars to join in with the discord not only is it super fun in the discord it also helps with the podcast we haven't talked about recently where the money is going and what it's helping with but we will be talking about that soon but be in no doubt how much it helps this podcast and it couldn't run as it does without the support on Patreon it literally we couldn't do half the things we do so thank you so much to everyone who's donated on the patreon in the last year it's been exactly a year since yep. we got our first patrons yeah and now we will shut the fuck up and, and let you get on with the film episode Woo. Woo. off you go past hannah and charlie hiya hi hi love hello hello oh fuck i left the gin in the other room <sighs> what do we do next i don't know i've gone out of podcast <laughs> we always do this we're back and it's time for the prisoner of Azkaban film film episode hey we didn't do it hungover for the first time oh no i mean i did drink for 13 hours yesterday but i wasn't hungover today 
I'm kind of disappointed in us. So we just watched Prisoner of Azkaban, the film, with some dominoes. Please sponsor us. We've got a lot to say. There's a lot to say. What do you think of this film normally, Charlie? Where does it sit in normally. your film? How you like all the films? Yeah, it's one of the top ones. It's one of the like, especially comforting ones. I would say out of like, all of the later ones, like kind of not including the first two, because yeah. I kind of see them very differently. Yeah. I would say that the third one is like the most comforting. Like It's very... like atmospheric yeah so it is one of the ones i stick on the most when i'm in a shit mood Mm -hmm. and i need some like and i feel like it does like all the kind of like not only the soundtrack but all like the ambient noises very well so it's just a good like background film it is so yeah i do like this one i think like having done a critical watch like i have like a mix of thoughts yeah i've got a lot of thoughts this is the most notes i've ever written about a film because i have such mixed feelings about this film like i think it's one of the best films in the whole thing like from a filmmaking standpoint it's the best but also it i've got a lot to say we should uh get started then say it then what are we drinking what are we drinking what good question so we are drinking a small batch gin liquor it's from the infusionist and it is rhubarb pink grapefruit and black pepper if that sounds random it is <laughs> it is but i thought it looked interesting and it's got a really nice bottle and a nice label it's one of the sweetest things i've ever drunk it is really really sweet, like, really sweet. it does taste like fruit juice yeah um like not in a bad way i mean it's a bit sickly this is our second glass yeah so the way we structure the film episodes for anyone that's forgotten is because we did we did <laughs> every single film episode because we only do it once every like six months yeah Literally every... It's taking us six months per book It's right about now. to get a lot longer. <laughs> yeah. Plot, casting, cinematography, and adaption. Yeah, and to define plot, because we keep forgetting, plot is essentially, like, anything that kind of happens, so... Anything that happens. <laughs> plot is stuff that happens. And <laughs> just in case anyone's unfamiliar with the word. But no, because, you know, we there's no point us doing just rereading, essentially, the book plot. The, yeah, you all know. Again. You know, you just heard it. Uh, but no, it's like commenting on all the kind of like d- d- plot details yeah. as opposed to being like, and then this happened. Yeah, we're not going to explain what happens. No. We've just spent six months doing that. Yeah. In detail. So, so here plot we go. notes. My but- first one, Harry Potter gets emo. Yep, it's dark. It is. It's dark. This maybe should have been in cinematography, but I feel like it's just in everything. It just... This is the it gets very it really moody. Takes a dive into the dark. Yeah, it does. It's just like all about that emo aesthetic, and yeah. I'm, I'm here for it. Harry's wearing like black hoodies, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, everything's well, you know, bluey gray. Makes sense. He's thirteen. You know, yeah. he's going through some stuff. My first note is uh, the main thing. One of the things that ruins this film, they just go straight off the bat with it. Why is he casting Lumos in his room? You ruined the film already, you're two seconds in. I know. It fills me with actual rage. It's so not thought out, especially because literally five minutes later on screen, Vernon says, you're not allowed to do magic outside of school. They'll Mm -hmm. kick you out. I'm like, so you put it in the script. Yeah. And then one of you still decided to keep this bit in. Do, mm-hmm. No, all of you decided this had to go through. There is, there's a lot of different levels of people you have to go yeah. through to make a film, and this bit made it in. And like, on one hand, it's this kind of like nice symbolism between the dark and the light. Like as you said, this film gets dark. It opens really dark, and it's horrible and stormy outside. And then Harry is creating 
light and he's in his own world studying magic and you know it's symbolism for how he's separate from the the muggle world he's living in but also symbolism shouldn't come above no nope. fucking plot i nope. hate it thanks yes. i hate it and also like as we just mentioned he's a 13 year old boy if there's one thing he's doing under the covers at night it's not his homework well i put penis slash wanking metaphor oh yeah yeah that's what he was up late doing that's yep. what uh Vernon walked in on him and he pretended to be asleep. Also, Harry only has sheets rather than a duvet. Yeah. I mean, it is July. But no, this was 100% because they were like, shit, he can't have a duvet because you wouldn't see the light Light. through it. I know, so we'll take away the duvet and just give him sheets. (laughs) It's like you could have taken away the fucking spell, you imbeciles. (laughs) And then my next plot note is, I love Harry's sassy flick of the tea towel. You know when he's he's like, I can't remember the line, but he's like, don't talk about my parents like that. And he like flicks it and the glass goes everywhere. And it's just the most like sassy, like, shut up, shut up. I love it. I love it. He's like, that scene is really great. It's, It's sped up a lot more than... The books and I, I think I don't know where I put this. I think I put this in adaptation, but as always, I'm going to switch around quite a lot. But they choose to spend very little time at the Dursleys compared to the first two books, even though compared to the first two films, even though the amount of time in the books is pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, so they speed through this whole bit with Art Marge, but it's done really well to give you all the information it leads. And I thought, like, they don't have time or a way, really, for Harry to do the whole backstory about Marge that he does in the books, where he's like, mm. she did this when I was seven. So what they put in is Harry kind of serving them at dinner, and then Marge clicks at him yeah. to get more to get yeah, more huh? alcohol. And it's just such... Well done. One movement, and you've, you've captured someone's character. So then... I don't know about you, but my next plot note then completely just skips to the racist bobblehead. Yeah, let's talk about the shrunken heads. Let's just go for it. The racist bobblehead. <laughs> Why are you saying bobble? Because you know when you have a bobblehead on your car. Oh, because like that's the that because the thing is like because no shrunken head, let alone shrunken head on the night bus, is in Harry Potter. Like it's not a thing it's within. Harry Potter. So the only way that I can picture the thought process that went into including this is that they were like, oh, like what quirky magic things can we do about the night bus? Okay. What do like actual vehicles, like muggle vehicles have? I mean, they got, they've got like bobbleheads. You put a bobblehead in your car. Maybe instead of a bobblehead, let's have a, an actual head. A shrunken head. Like, that must have been the thought process. No, because they're in the Leaky Cauldron later as well. So yeah, I but... think whoever created this film just really liked shrunken heads. I, I feel like they, they came up with it that way and then they were like, oh, well, we can't just have the one. Let's add four. They just, they really then invested in this as this, like, huge, like, marketing thing. Yeah, just... it's, on, it's, it's in all of the... It's, like, the main part in the trailer, I think. Yeah. It's a huge part of, like, loads of different marketing. It's in the um, DVD screen at the start. It is, and we were reading the bonus features because I have the two-DVD special from back in the day, and part of the bonus features is like the shrunken head talks you through something, and I'm like... Yeah, and interviewing the cast. They did interviews with the cast, and it's like... Why? Stop. Why did no one in the process stop this? So to break down why it's racist. But also like it just it doesn't even fit in the whole like how it just feels really like it's so out of place. Yeah. So let alone like, yeah. Okay. Like, and also, I mean, don't have it in there, but like it's in there. But like, don't then make it the entire point of the thing when it doesn't remotely fit. Like, don't have this huge marketing 
thing behind it when it just feels so completely random and disjointed. Yeah, and in a film series which is notorious for not having any lines from people of colour, mm-hmm. most of the third film's lines of a person from colour is taken up with a shrunken head. Yep. And now we're going to go through why it's racist because I, I always knew it was like I, I'd, I'd heard this a long time and I like kind of knew why but I wanted to do we both wanted to do a bit of research into the actual reasons why just so we weren't being just so we weren't saying things without context so we haven't done a huge deep dive there are going to be people who know more about it than us and if you do know more about this and want to get in touch with us with more info about kind of the background of the whole shrunken head thing why it's um not great then please send that in and we would be interested to read that and share it with people a the shrunken head is has a jamaican accent um shrunken heads do not come from jamaica they in fact come from tribes within the amazon rainforest and also peru and kind of southern ecuador area they are a basically take part in some tribes spirituality basically and it's a way of defeating your enemies kind of thing it's a it's a way of making sure that their spirit doesn't come back get you is a very very simple way to put it they're not a sat nav they're not a sat nav because um in these ancient tribes they don't have sat navs they don't have buses Mm, yeah i know it's amazing and now here's shocking fact number two um that jamaican head um which cannot be jamaican in the first place is not even voiced by an actor with a jamaican voice it's voiced by lenny henry i don't know if lenny henry is going to (laughs) translate (laughs) hannah explain to our global audience who lenny henry is lenny henry is a very famous british actor he's been around in everything since forever like do you remember the first thing you saw lenny henry in He's been in, like, all kids' films, Um, but adult films as well. He's a very talented actor. No, but saying that, I don't actually know when I've ever actually seen Lenny Henry in anything aside from an advert. No, he's been in loads. But I I don't know if I've seen it. Like, all I know Lenny Henry is as that dude from adverts. Okay. There was, I feel like there was a point, and this is many moons ago, like, in the 80s and 90s when he was, like the black british actor when you know britain wasn't very good at having representation in films it was like i mean lenny henry we're still not no we're still not (laughs) we're better but we're still bad so this film decided to put a man he does not have a jamaican accent you mean lenny lenny henry i'm pretty sure comes from a premier inn yes that's where he was conceived (laughs) and born and raised yeah okay if anyone just google premier in advert and you'll learn who lenny henry is yes found out also he was (laughs) married to dawn french who is also in this film were they married at the time and they just put the couple in the film Dawn French, by the way, is the actress that they use to replace the fat lady. Mm-hmm. Tell me about your research into shrunken heads. <laughs> so no, I didn't so much have research as much as like points into just how just no. No, just, it is. <laughs> because it feels out of place. And also like it does highlight how few people of colour, like when one of the only people, I mean, like maybe one of two people in this I will film? come back to the second person in this film who is not given a name the other and also it's just like the random black kid that says really deep mysterious lines they they gave four lines to him and then never gave him a character name it's actually shocking and also he shouldn't be there because there shouldn't be a sixth gryffindor boy so they literally shoved him in just to have a black kid which is horrific don't do this yeah stop doing this yeah 
Yeah. I'll but, come back to that. Carry on. <laughs> yeah. So like it literally, it just highlights how few people of colour there are because it just is so glaring that it's just like, oh my God, like one of the only non-white people in this film and they're a shrunken head. Yep. It has really weird connotations to voodoo, which just seems like unfortunate misrepresentation and just... I suppose it's kind of... It, I sw- maybe it's trying to okay so if it has like connotations with voodoo and things like that it's trying to be like magic in all different forms there's like there's yeah. magic all over the world and the magic you already know exists like oh when you think magic you might think about voodoo it is in harry potter but don't go don't try to do that in the way of just sticking a shrunken head in things like yeah have a character explain that kind of oh for god's sake yeah and also i like to say this like of unless you haven't realized me and hannah are like two white people yeah so like this is <laughs> whoa what really yeah yes yeah. yeah us i know oh yeah wow i know but um yeah, so like when I say that it has connotations to voodoo, I mean that in the kind of like perceptions. I don't know if it if shrunken heads are actually tied to voodoo. No, I but don't. in terms of like how they're kind of culturally perceived, that's what they're tied to. It yeah. might not actually be accurate. The way but we view shrunken heads is yeah, kind of shrunken heads, voodoo, like, and they might not be tied at all because yeah. we as white people might have a probably have a very warped view of this kind of thing because it's yeah. all come from pop culture which is yeah yeah not good. it's just like the pop cultural thing yeah it's just and it's the fact that like it's not at all like mentioned in the books and just where does it come from why is it there why is it lean so on so heavily it's it's straight up racist how did it get so far the thing is i understand someone in a meeting being like what about like a shrunken head like these ideas bounce around in meetings whatever how did it get through every stage of pre-production to the point of filming and it's still there it's like they were like we want to do something really different like this is i do feel like this is the emo film or like even the scene kid film where it's like it wanted to be like really like quirky and different i have and like edgy I can tell you why. When we get to adaption, I can yeah. tell you why that is. I yeah. know. So it's like, it's this kind of thing is that they just threw out there, like, let's do something really different and weird and let's put in all of the trailers to be like, oh, Harry Potter's edgy now. Like, <laughs> got a shrunken head. Okay. Wood, wood. And when there is literally in the entire film series, six minutes of audio. Actors of colour or is it black actors? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Oh, I see. Um, but no, it's six minutes. But yeah, like just oh no no you should have stopped yeah stop yourself somebody stop this film is terrible and then we move straight on to okay so we finish that and one second later harry is grabbed from in front of the racist shrunken head by a really offensive stereotype of a disabled person so tom the innkeep existed in the first film he was fine a lovely character well done tom the innkeep and they swapped him to be a caricature of like Eagle. Yeah. It's a it's so weird. Like there there's a lot of this this film draws from a lot of different things. Yeah. And the racist voodoo shrunken head whatever things is like one thing. And then there's a lot of things later on where it pulls a lot from like very like classic horror films, and then this is just it's eagle yeah it is eagle it's just pulling from other cultural references and in the films he's just described as a toothless walnut a toothless walnut so like i always pictured him as like this old kind of friendly man like but who'd never taken care of himself quite properly so he looked a bit like he just looked very Very sun damaged very sun damaged yeah but 
for some reason they when, do, when does he become a hunchback and it and it's and it's just supposed to be like this like weird comic relief that just isn't funny it's just ableist yeah. and then it's a fact as well that he doesn't seem to be able to talk it's like he, he, i'm doing a he, horrible impression yeah. of the film though that's yeah, the thing impression the of film the film is doing a disgusting yeah, but impression like, he he's supposed to be an innkeeper but all he does is go <laughs> and you're that's like incredibly offensive what? like yeah. it's not okay like it's and and it, it's how how does this man run an inn when he oh, he can't talk he can just kind of like wheeze or like, if he can that's amazing don't use it as fucking comic relief no. like that's the thing it's not it's in the film for any sort of like oh look wizards don't have to be able-bodied people great put that in harry potter please why is everyone able-bodied like for god's sake but don't put a character who's not able-bodied in there just to be comic relief i mean that scene didn't need comic what are you doing yeah why is no one stopping this film <laughs> i know it is so <laughs> awful <laughs> so then we're, they're in the pub and hermione just has crookshanks we don't get to see her get crookshanks and this yeah. is also the film where hermione starts to call ron ronald weird weird just film so i kind of had done this thing in my brain where I thought that was in the books because mm. I'm so used to it in the films, but it's not. It's literally just films. Just and it's to make men- him her seem even more posh because she's calling him Ronald. But it also seems motherly. Like they do this very weird mm. dynamic with Ron and Hermione where they try to do romance, but it comes off as that. This very stereotypical thing with girls where girls mature faster than boys and romance is kind of viewed through this very weird lens where girls kind of mother boys stop doing these things to women we don't have to mother men to like them Mm -hmm. i hate it thanks i feel like we like we really like this film here are all the reasons it's fucking awful no to be fair this is my plot notes when we get on to my cinematography notes it's just three pages over me over me like of me wanking over this film so this is a oh my this is (laughs) this is a tale in two halves charlie's finished her drink um i love the choir it's so unnecessary i fucking love it yeah what do you think of the singing toads? <laughs> it's just like double, double, toil and trouble, fire, burn and cold. Does Shakespeare exist in the Wizarding World? Apparently, that song is but from Shakespeare. No, I, I <laughs> no, <laughs> I will get into the singing toads and other things later in adaption. Oh, interesting. I'm excited. Um, the, this section has my favourite quote in, and it's kind of my favourite quote almost out of all of Harry Potter and it comes from the films, not the books, which is happiness can be found even in the darkest of times if one only remembers to turn on the light. And it's quite a simplistic quote, like obviously there's a lot more to being happy in life, but it's also a really beautiful simple quote and it's about sometimes remembering to find the little things that make you happy and it also ties into this the film has an entire theme and again i'll get into this in cinematography but the film has a very strong theme of darkness versus light and it's not only in the words they do as in like what the characters say it's also within the way they filmed it they use darkness and light against each other and then they bring it through in quotes like this so the film is a constant battle basically between darkness and light and i like that it's tied into dumbledore's speech yeah, I can't remember where this note takes place. Have we gone past it or we not I've, reached it yet? I'm but... about to talk about the boys in the common room scene. Yes. Oh, good. That We're was at the same thing. Okay. So this <laughs> is potentially the, if not one of the, my least favourite. <gasps> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. I put it's I... one of my favourite additions. 
I hate it oh, I with really a like fiery it. fucking passion. I really like it. I think oh, if you're going to add something to a film, this is a good thing no. to add. Okay, you go first. No. You go first. You go first. No. <laughs> what is the point in it, Hannah? Um, okay, I'll tell you. I think it's a really nice addition to show normal life at Hogwarts without having descriptions. So obviously books have Harry constantly narrating things. But the films, especially from now onwards, start to do something which I'm going to talk about more and more, especially in film five, called Show Don't Tell, where rather than a character verbally explaining, life moved on at Hogwarts and Harry was happy, they use a scene or a montage to show that. And I think this scene shows really well that Harry is still a child and we have to remember he's still a child. And I think it's also a really good example of showing the danger outside Hogwarts and the safety within its walls because we pan from the very light common room with the laughing and the boys running around outside to the Dementors. And we remember that Harry is only safe inside Hogwarts. This is his home, but he, he is still a child who has to remain within its walls. And I just think it's a really lovely way of showing all of that without needing a character to verbally explain that. I get that in principle, but the scene itself is just fucking dire. Why? It is cringeworthy. It is badly acted. Once again, what do you mean? What do you just, mean? This is badly it, acted. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like it, it, it just comes from nowhere. Like yes, it kind of ties into like the Fred and George's shit, but aside from that, it just comes from nowhere. It's so badly acted. It literally just seems like just some awkward like can you be laddie just be laddie oh just have a laugh just be laddie and and they're just acting it so awkwardly and it 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 makes my skin crawl wow and i think there are so many other moments that you could have picked from the books or that you could have come up with to show the normal life at hogwarts because i do agree that it's important and i think that there is a way that you can do showing the normal life at hogwarts in a way that it's still plot building in I, th- a film, I think book 5 does uh, film 5 does that perfectly yeah in a film where you've missed out so much vital plot yeah. why are you taking the time to put this kind of scene in you could do it in a very different way and also it just makes my skin crawl it's I so really badly like acted it. it's so awkward it's just fucking weird why why i've never known us disagree so much on one thing i've never known us disagree so much on one thing it actually upsets me every time i watch it i want to kill myself because i get secondhand embarrassment i like that scene (laughs) it's it's when ron (laughs) is the lion and he's like and you're like oh my god i just (sighs) no so speaking of Ron, this film kind of jumps the gun with the Ron Hermione romance slash awkwardness. So the first place they do it is the butt beak scene where they grab each other's hands when they're scared. Well, Hermione grabs Ron's arm. <laughs> also, can I point out my favourite bit in this scene, and I don't know if you noticed it, is you know the bit when he says like any volunteers and they all, all step, step back. back. Neville just fucking drops to the ground. <laughs> I think he's like behind like a bollard or something. There's like something in front of him. Everyone else steps back. He just literally just goes straight down vertically. Oh, he I just need to see that again. Stops and drops. I wonder if the film told him to do that, or Matthew Lewis was just like, stop. <laughs> I honestly feel like it was a Matthew Lewis moment. Just like everyone else was going back, he's gonna go down. Down. Going it, down. Honestly, oh, I need to see that. This is the first time I realised it. I might try and put it up on YouTube. Like this literally, it was the first time I've ever noticed it, but I 
you just made me fucking die. I feel, feel like this film gives a really a lot of good opportunities for that kind of thing because it does a lot of busy scenes with a lot of actors in. They really got all the kids involved, and I think they were much more allowed to. I think they were much more allowed to do their own thing in this film. Like they were, they were more given free reign to be kids and and let that come through in their acting rather than everything being staged. So I, I like, I'd like to think that was just part of them kind of messing around on set. And I was saying that like Hermione grabs Ron's hand when she's scared about Harry being attacked by Buckbeak or something like uh, or whatever and I think this is because obviously the books were like three ahead of the films at this point so that they knew they very clearly knew that Ron and Hermione were going to be a thing so they felt that they could kind of get away with this but in a film where they cut out the fight between these two but they also don't really show any friendship between these two mm. especially the amount they ruin Ron's character it's a bit of a weird decision to just add some awkward romance stuff in there without showing any actual friendship and caring between yeah. them. Yeah. Like, I know that 13-year-olds fancy each other, but I'm also like, I don't like watching this. Yeah. I, it, I feel awkward. It's uncomfortable. Lupin makes it sound like he fucked Lily. Does he? <laughs> what does he say? He goes... <laughs> He goes, oh, Harry, you have your mother's eyes. Oh, yes. I'm like, yeah, I knew your mother in school. Oh, yes. I, knew I wonder her. if you have the same sex face. No, he just he just goes, oh, yes, I knew her. Do your eyes also twitch when you come? <laughs> it just sounds so bad. The way he delivers the lines yeah. sounds like, I fucked your mum. I mean, maybe he... Stop. We Stop the words. Stop the words you're saying. We don't know that it didn't happen. Maybe she saw him before she saw James. Maybe they were in a thruple. Maybe she took on all of the marauders Stop. at once. Just... Lily died for us. For us. Stop this. Why? <laughs> I'm not saying it in a bad way. Like, just potentially. Just potentially. Well, the way, the to be marauders tag-teamed her. Well, the way Sirius speaks about her later in this film, I'm like, did you all? What? Did you all fancy Lily? What is happening in this film? Yep. Headcanon, all of the marauders took Lily at once. Jesus Christ. <laughs> this uh, is what I'm here for. Yep. Um, the Grimm's in the clouds. Charlie, why? Aesthetic. No, Charlie aesthetic you've ruined the plot i feel like this is just the me <laughs> of the films what putting it, the grim in the clouds no like it's emo it lives and dies for the aesthetic it kills the plot it kills the sense of the plot the grim is not real the grim is serious and harry is just seeing serious if the grim is in the clouds that means one of three things a the grim is real and harry is seeing death omens B, Harry is going mad and imagining dogs in the sky. Or C, somebody didn't understand the film. The yeah. book. Yeah. It was it was C. It was C. Yeah. None of the buckets are better. No. They're all worse. Yeah. Uh and also what what irritates me more than, you know, the fact that a giant spider on ice rollerblades is terrifying mm. what was the other one? Oh, it was the snake turning into a clown but no it's not a fun clown it's a jack-in-a-box but that that irritates me for a whole other reason the point of <laughs> what you do to a bogger is that you transform it slightly like you do something to it yeah whereas turning just... a snake into a jack-in-the-box is just a completely different thing yeah you're supposed to do something to what your fear is and that's a whole more like poignant kind of thing about like overcoming your fears, your fears. Yeah. but all that really does is just be like i just turned it into a different thing that is 
also terrifying. <laughs> Jack in the Box is like, horrifying. It's, it's not like it's like a kid's toy. It's like a giant emo, horrible, horrific, terrifying Jack in the Box. Like none of these are better and it's just it shows that like this film is more committed to the like aesthetic that it's got going on than it is preserving any kind of plot or sense yep no it is this film has an aesthetic and it's wonderful but also it 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 ruins itself at multiple points i feel like why i really like this film is because all of the time when i watch harry potter it's that i'm half watching it and it's on the in the background as like essentially ambient noise yeah. and atmosphere and i feel like that's why i really love this film because it is the best for that but i feel like why i really enjoyed this film is because whenever i watch harry potter it's always on in the background more as like ambient noise and like atmosphere and that's why this film is really really great is it's good for doing that but i feel like now for the first time in so many years i've actually done like a proper like paying attention viewing to this it's destroying my opinion on this film i'm just like oh god you you butchered it <laughs> you butchered it Congra- no 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 because charlie at least this film has some integrity in the fact that its plot makes sense film four butchered it but also makes no sense and is also sexist so we've got that to come film four is them <laughs> attempting to make a chick flick no film six is them attempting to make a chick flick dear christ yeah film yeah. four is some man being like do you know what's great 16 year old girls bums why are there more shrunken heads in the pub um the next bit we get to it was is um he was their friend he was their friend yep um and then harry bears his teeth <laughs> which me and charlie just did at each other during that moment like, like the, the thing is, acting is so, so bad, bad. what really what's really kind of frustrating is daniel radcliffe had got so much better in this film and, compared to the and first there's a two. scene later on when he out acts every single adult in the room oh you're gonna have to tell me which bit it is not now in at that scene yeah um no he's like and the step up from the first few films you can tell he's really worked on stuff in between the two films like they had some time away and you can tell they've all taken some lessons and taken some time and really worked on it and then this film just no that moment just nosedives into oh he just kind of does a weird whimper and then he's sad and then he starts yelling and just shows his teeth (laughs) if i ever find him I'll kill him. <laughs> and that was his best take. No, that was his best take. Oh, uh, you had a point in this. I don't know whether it goes on to like cast or you want to say no, it no, here. It, here. here. Um, and again, this is the first time I've ever noticed this and I don't know how. So obviously Draco and his cronies appear. Who the fuck is the third crony? Like yeah. there is crab or goyle. I'm I not sure which is which. Crap. And it's, and it's the one that, it's the one that's it's the one that's not Josh Herdman. Uh, yeah, and then a, there's a dude in a hat where you kind of think, okay, that's the other crab and or goyle, no crab or goyle, and then he pulls off his hat and you're like, it's not him. That's a completely different actor, and it's not the actor who plays Blaze Sabini in later films that was brought in to yeah. replace Goyle without actually replacing Goyle because that made sense. Yeah, it's just. A some man. some other dude. I have so many questions. Like, <laughs> was Josh Josh Herdman just busy that day? And I think he was and, ill, and they were like, "We cannot save this date. We have to go, go, roll the cameras." Like potentially, if we ever meet him again, we'll have to ask him because yeah, like, where what the were shit? you? Harry sees Sirius's face in the crystal ball during um, divination, which again 
doesn't make any sense. Much nope. like the dog in the cloud, I thought we established that crystal balls aren't real. So Harry seeing the face implies that crystal balls are real. Then Trelawney reads the prophecy and the film really ruins the dramatic moment by having Emma Thompson do this weird comedic cough at the mm. end of it. And I don't think it's Emma Thompson. I think it's a direction from the film. But it's very dramatic. You know, she's saying the line and then it finishes with like... <coughs> yeah. And it really breaks the tension. It's a really weird decision from the film to like take away from that tension and have to put in comic relief. Yeah. It would have been so much better if it was an actual like what happened moment yeah not just a laugh it away moment yeah definitely definitely my next notes about the tree legit trying to kill them yeah it really goes to town it does but this entire scene is just ridiculous (laughs) me and charlie just lost it at this point we absolutely lost it like the fact that hermione turns him turns into a gymnast and is like dodging the tree and then she gets swept up in it and then she grabs harry and then there is like a five second pause between her grabbing harry Harry looks down looks at the camera goes And then he gets pulled away by Hermione. What is happening? Like, what is with the delay? Like, did the tree just stop? Is Hermione's arm just stretching? But also, how ripped is Hermione? Because I don't know about all of you, but I can barely lift my arm above my own head. But what I definitely can't do is lift another human's body weight whilst being suspended from a tree directly out in front. And what I certainly can't do, when I certainly can't do that, is when I'm a 14-year-old girl. And his shirt would rip. And then she somehow, while, while spinning at how many ever million miles an hour, just perfectly throws him Have into the hole. Have you tried throwing a human, a human man, into a hole into a- whilst you're being swung around? It's the most ridiculous scene I've ever seen in my life. Can I just say, I've got to make the inevitable put a man in your hole joke. Um, but, but it just makes no sense. And had she missed by even a teeny tiny she bit, would have killed she would have just punted Harry into the tree. Yep. it's such a film moment it's it's another moment of them just putting comic relief where it doesn't really need to be there's enough funny stuff in harry potter without you doing that i don't i don't don't even think it's meant to be funny i think it's meant to be dramatic but it just really doesn't seem like that no so while they're in the shrieking shack all of them keep talking about the marauders map without ever saying who created it like and at no point in this film do they say who the marauders are and that they made the map and you're like they they skirt around it so many times that if you've read the books which at this point the films are banking on you having read the books your brain fills it all in but it completely is missed out from this film and yeah. it's so frustrating because it would have taken half a sentence and it's so unnecessary but who needs plot when you have a setting hannah <laughs> this is something that i struggle with though i i really struggle to separate not only what happens in the films and what happens in the book but also to work out what's missing from the films and yeah. i feel like for a while like growing up i didn't hate the films because they made sense to me but then as i got older i kind of thought about it and especially when you kind of get to a lot of the stuff in the last couple of books slash films mm. that you're just like to anyone that hasn't read harry potter this legitimately cannot make sense i know it legitimately the last film makes zero sense if you haven't read harry potter like it cannot work yeah, the bit when I was going to say that Dan Rad is out-acting the adults in the room. I mean, definitely Lupin. Like, Lupin's acting is a little bit questionable in this sh- scene. Uh, Gary Oldman is... is it's, it's incredible. Being, yeah, obviously. being really great. But I genuinely think that in the scene, Harry... He, well, Daniel is Dan- out-acting even 
potentially Gary Oldman. Wow. Um, he just really goes from the, the awful, he was their friend, to then actually being really good in the scene. Yeah, I think I think this scene is so... I go, I go into it a lot more in um, casting. I think this scene, because it was all in one room and it's all very quick, they clearly had a lot of rehearsals for this scene mm. because there's not a lot of action. It's mostly staging, then moving around and talking. So I think they probably gave them a lot of time to work it all out because you can really feel... Like, all the lines are said like this. Yeah. Like, line, 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 line. So it's very clear they've really practised it and it really comes across. And I think I think it's amazing for these kids as well that they um they got to see these actors acting this. And it, it, you can tell it's starting to really influence their own acting ability. Like, because you're right, Daniel Radcliffe does so keep up in this scene. Like, he does so well. Yeah. And I mean, this kind of comes into adaption, but as we we're talking about it, like, this, this scene is so sped up and doesn't make a whole lot of sense no. and it and it's a shame because the entire point of having this film is is basically for this like scene of explanation yeah. that that you know informs stuff in the past and informs things in the future like why bother creating the scene if you're not actually going to explain and include like out of everything that they included they should have included this scene and actually gone into detail of what happened because it doesn't really make sense and just why create the film? You could have just skipped the third film if you weren't going to actually explain what the fuck went on. Yeah, if you weren't going to bother explaining the Marauders and they don't explain prongs, they don't explain that prongs is Harry's dad, they don't explain that Harry's dad was an animagus, you've basically rendered this film pointless to the overall plot of Harry Potter. Yeah, congratulations. Exactly. So they leave the tree and Harry never gets to say that he wants to live with Sirius. The whole yeah. shit with the werewolf starts to go down after Sirius says, oh no, I totally understand if you don't want to live with me. And then Harry's like, uh, and then they spin around. So like obviously Sirius knows at the end because Harry's like, I'll come with you. But yeah, kind of sad. It's kind of sad. Yeah. So Hermione tries to have a conversation with the werewolf. Oh, before that, just before that, um, Sirius, they put in this extra speech for Sirius, which is one of my favourite additions in all of the film. And I don't normally say that because normally I'm like, what the fuck have you done? You've ruined it. Um, but they give uh, Gary Oldman this speech where he runs up to Lupin and he's like, this heart, Remus, this heart is where you live. Like, and it's cheesy, but it's also so well acted that it's it's wonderful. I really like it. Once again, I hate it. Oh, <laughs> no. No. See, I, no it just, this heart, Remus, this heart is where you live. Not only is it just horrendously cheesy, it just doesn't make sense. Like, I'm no, sorry. It doesn't like, make sense. Sirius, <laughs> Sirius went to school with him. He had like, you know, like probably like five years of being around him as well. Yep. Like, he knows that you can't just talk him out of it. Like, no, I know. If you could just be like, this heart, Lupin, this heart is where you belong or whatever then they wouldn't have had to become animagus like it it literally it doesn't make any any sense it doesn't make any sense and and it's just cheesy i like it even though it doesn't make any sense just because i like gary oldman's acting so then yeah you're right hermione tries to reason with a werewolf yeah it's like hermione dumb bitch (laughs) it's not this dumb like this definitely the second half of the film if not all of it, is just like complete character assassination for Hermione. And Ron. All of it. Oh yeah. They've just butchered everything. Congratulations. Yeah. But it, it, it's like, you know, they hit the... Most of the films do this weird thing where they just make Hermione seem like annoyingly perfect by yeah. giving, obviously giving her all of Ron's traits. But this film just makes her seem dumb and cowardly. Like we'll get into it more. Dumb and cowardly, but then an action hero, like 
they take away her cleverness and instead go for her doing stupid things and then her doing harry type like running around jumping here jumping in the tree like action girl yeah yeah women women it's like Hermione's strong in her brain. We don't need her lifting people up of trees to know that women are strong. She was super strong anyway, and you've ruined it. <laughs> yeah, but we can go into more detail in that in adaption. But we yeah, can. my, my I'm just, I'm, just my note was just she is not that stupid. No, do you know? Well, the, but the line they give Ron is even more stupid but hilarious. It's just nice doggy. <laughs> Iconic. <laughs> Iconic. He just goes. He's looking at Lupin and he goes nice doggy <laughs> i mean what else are you gonna so do good it's so good i feel like actually that is the more reasonable yeah, it probably like, is. you know sirius goes for the impassioned speech hermione goes for logical reasoning ron goes for nice, nice doggy, doggy. <laughs> so then they add in this thing which i've always been in two complete minds about so snape comes out the tree they haven't brought him out like in the books unconscious he's stayed within the shack and then he comes out the tree as lupin starts to rear so they have snape throw himself over the trio and then continually push them back and try to shield them yeah and i've heard mixed things about this and it's an, it's an interesting way to go because obviously we like snape's a shit character even when he becomes good at the end he's a shit character also at this point in the books we're meant to think he's an evil cunt and throughout this book he's been an evil cunt but then suddenly he's throwing himself on the trio however i don't think if this were to happen in the books it's that out of character like we know snape hates harry ron and hermione but also at the end of the day he doesn't want them to die and he is quite a self-sacrificial person mm. like i don't think it's that out of character for him to push them out the way so i actually really like it as an addition and i think alan rickman's acting is so good that i i want it in there because it's so amazing watching him kind of push them yeah no i completely i i think it's completely within character for him and you know there's he he's a horrible cunt and he's evil in a lot of ways mm. but he's not the kind of evil where he's like i want these three 13 year olds to die yeah and he would never run away and leave them like yeah i i i actually think it's a really good moment like we've got to remember snape from book one volunteered as referee yeah just to swap stop quirrell killing harry yeah and at the end of the day like the point of his entire character is that he's made a pledge to keep harry alive yeah. maybe he wouldn't have jumped in front of ron and hermione but he's gonna jump in front of harry because yeah. harry is lily's child yeah and it so happens that he jumps in front of all three and physically shields them with his arms and it's it was a bold decision to make but i actually and i know a lot of people don't like it and i can see why but i actually really really like it hey i agree dumbledore hits ron's leg <laughs> like <laughs> i like this <laughs> it's so stupid it's so in character as well is it is it oh he's such a dick in this film oh but like he is a dick and like we know that he is just irresponsible and the worst Not headmaster we know that he is completely like on bad. his own wavelength like i think this is actually really in character for him like he's a bit he's a bit spacey he's a bit weird he's really shit and irresponsible and kind of just you know very um narrow-minded he's kind of just got like tunnel vision so i completely buy that he would do this so then they go they start the time turn a bit and the big clock, the clock, you can hear in the background as Dumbledore is discussing them going back in time or kind of cryptically saying it to Hermione. You can hear the clock start to chime 
and it's counting down like from 12 obviously um and it's such a good marker it was a really genius decision from them to start that clock chiming because then obviously it stops but obviously it comes back in again at yep. the end of the scene you hear it start to chime again and i'll go into this in cinematography the way they use ticking sounds and clocks throughout this film but just really really good move from them do you want to talk about the line where hermione sees the back of her hair it's part of the bit of hermione's character assassination <laughs> there's two lines that i wrote down is that what really what my hair looks like from the back <laughs> and then that was so scary which she literally does in a baby voice but the first one is that really what my hair looks like from the back? Like, I can remember this line annoying me long, 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 long before, like, I knew considered... what feminism was. <laughs> no, like, a bit long before, like, I identified as a feminist yeah. back when I was, like, 12 and I was like, ugh, feminism's not cool. Oh, my God, no, I'm not a feminist. But, like, it always, like, filled me with, like, uncontrollable rage. Like just it just seems so glaringly like out of character for her like genuinely who wrote this who like read a man like a man who read her it. character and was like yeah she would say this like it just hermione no, would not give two shits it's, it doesn't matter that, that, no but they don't care about whether hermione would say it because it's a man writing a woman and they think it's funny for a woman to say it and bear in mind they're unnecessarily adding this some gender stereotypes to a 13 slash 14 year old girl here and it literally this film was going out to children so you are putting it in the minds mm -hmm. of young girls who are watching this film that they need to worry about their hair from all angles like you may not have thought about that but that's what you're doing when you put yeah. these kind of lines in you are keeping up with the precedent that girls should constantly worry about what they look like yeah and then i mean we discussed it um with neil but this is a line that breaks the time travel like the fact that she says this and then the twig um snaps and then she turns around and the other her sees her yeah so like it's not she even like it's just an annoying line but this line completely destroys the time travel yeah because uh, yeah. she then knows she has yeah. to go back in time and then it's just the line that was so, so scary. scary that she says in a baby voice and the fact that she spends so much of this film screaming and it's like it is okay for women to be scared and to scream and this is like a great part of Hermione's character that she does get scared but like the way that it's done in this film just comes across really as just like Hermione's just this bimbo that's talking about her hair and screaming yeah like Hermione so is not scary. this like damsel in distress and it doesn't matter like how many scenes you put of her like thrusting her hand forward and going bombarda or like yep. thrusting her hand forward and punching a man those are really like superficial like girl boss girl power it's moments so hashtag girl boss like yeah it, it's just it doesn't matter when you then actually just have her like screaming on the back of a hippogriff <laughs> like it's just you can so be, many screams like count the amount yeah. of times Hermione screams and in I, this film and I can't like pinpoint exactly what it is about this film because yes yeah, she's allowed to be scared and of she's allowed, she's scared in other films and it's fine and it works but there's just something about the way that it's done I think it's because every other character part of her character is reduced that then she does just become this like screaming mess that yeah. doesn't really <sighs> yeah they 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 basically change the i think this film changes her intelligence into a kind of bossy motherliness then they add all these 
extra screams and then they add in all this action stuff for her to do Hermione's not the actiony one of a trio she's the one thinking of what to do and then going along with the action bit here she's like I'm gonna run ahead I'm gonna do this I'm gonna do this woo girl power it, it's so just like that a middle-aged man wrote what he thinks girl power is rather than reading the text and seeing that what was written there was girl power already yeah what you did was detract from it yeah congratulations we are just roasting this film i know we'll stop roasting in a bit well also when she says what that was so scary is just after the where harry holds her as the werewolf yeah run run bitch run bit like don't just commit to dying run yeah i mean it is a really cute moment because he does like full body shield her he's like i'm gonna protect and that's a very harry thing to do he's like i am gonna be first yeah and it's it's a really nice like very like it seems like a very brotherly and sisterly moment and i do like it as a moment but i do also agree like bitch just run yeah Yeah. i also feel like actually harry wouldn't shield actually i think what's more in harry's character is he would push and say run yeah so he would stand there on his own like i think that would be more harry although he does have like a kind of self-sacrificing thing right he does does have a self-sacrificing thing oh my god then you have this beautiful scene between Sirius and Harry where they're saying goodbye and they make Sirius very eloquent and loving in this film and like for the rest of the film he just becomes this like wise godfather and you're like bitch this is an emotionally stunted like immature repressed like someone that spent 12 years in prison and is like very fucked up with PTSD like he needs to be this like erratic reckless immature stunted person and instead he's like here is a deep line. Yes. I'm Gary Oldman. I'm Gary and Oldman. And here's me looking sexier than Gary Oldman has ever looked and saying really deep things, yep. Harry. Yep, 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 yep. Yeah, it's just not serious. And then Dumbledore is a vague bastard at the end of the time travel. So rather than him being like, congratulations about rescuing Sirius, he just goes, done what? Good night. I'm like... No one was there. You didn't have to act like that. You're just being a, like you're just yep. being rude now. It's just it's just more nonsense for the aesthetic. It's so nonsense. Trying to be all like mysterious, but and also it has really weird implications because there's two readings of this. There's a reading that I take where you're like, oh, it's Dumbledore just being like, ha ha ha, done what? I've got no idea what you're on about. Ha ha ha. Like, but then there's also the reading that somehow by them going back he genuinely doesn't know which just literally just disintegrates any of the sense that the time travel makes so it depends how you read him saying that is whether he's saying it in a kind of tongue-in-cheek way or whether somehow because of the time travel he genuinely hasn't told them which just makes no sense casting casting so art march yeah oh my perfection great Great. amazing love it Uh, tom the innkeeper we've covered we've covered that fudge yeah very good yeah he he was in another film he just i know but we didn't talk about him didn't we oh no i don't think we did he's very good yeah like he he's a really good he just he's he just just is a politician politician. like literally so So good and army yeah and there's um there's a bit in the scene where Harry's eavesdropping oh, in yeah. on them and he does some absolutely spectacular acting, like some of the best in the film. And it's this tiny, tiny moment where the camera is like from the point of view of Harry under the invisibility cloak and 
Harry must have makes like a slight noise or he can hear him breathing. And he kind of just like looks up and does a double double take, but tiny. Yeah, it's very good. Tiny, slight, subtle. And then kind of you see him really subtly like shrug it off. It's just beautiful acting because it's like barely there. It just seems really genuine. Yeah. And oh, it's so good. And I love the fact that him like and I know this is part of just how the character is written but he just he portrays it really well about the whole like he's just he's this politician politician but he he's gossiping to the barmaid and he just really likes getting that kind of like oh he does the validation and and I think he acts that really well that kind of like politician who's not really in it for like the right reasons yeah no a hundred percent and like Love this it. continues throughout the films because you see his his fall from grace up and like all the way up to film six um he was just a great casting choice because he comes across he does have that kind of warm fatherly loving thing in this film and but you can tell there's a yeah it's not real there's something there yeah yeah, yeah. it's very good lupin um great i really like this actor that i don't know the name of yeah same i uh, i do like him but I like I'm not unafraid to say that maybe someone could have done it as good or better. He's not I, I, I feel like there's a lot of the casting in Harry Potter where I'm like, yep, yeah, no, no one, one else. else. Lupin isn't one of those. I He does look good in a cargan. He does. I appreciate him more in this film than I remembered appreciating him in the past. I think he his acting has this level of calmness. Yeah. Which suits the character perfectly. And I don't think anyone else could have quite captured that. Like the the acting is just so like nothing phases him but then the moment where he catches harry with the map that breaks Mm -hmm. and he does some really good angry acting where you really sense this disappointment he's very good english teacher yeah he's like he's an english teacher through and through yeah like the one that you were like really good friends with in high school but then could scare you yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. very good crookshanks amazing (laughs) great well done just the perfect cat they've clearly stuck extra bits of fur on that poor cat <laughs> and like done some back combing yeah. which i love imagine being the cat stylist there were three cats yeah but like still imagine being the cat stylist oh, like that just oh. michael yeah. gambon let's go <sighs> i'm not ready not a fan unfortunately do you remember the moment you saw him in the cinema for the first time because i so no. so i went to see this film for the first time with my mum and then for a second time with a birthday party and i i don't i think my mum had told me that the actor playing dumbledore had changed because i was so young i'd kind of forgotten about it and then i came in the cinema and you know he kind of like sweeps onto scene yeah and um i remember gasping out loud in the cinema and people turning around to look at me like i remember that yeah he's just you can tell he hasn't read the books. And he's admitted that. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's so obvious. And I just don't accept this role if you're not going to read the books. Like, go fuck yourself. Yep, like, honestly, like, no, he's just he's just awful. Yeah. He's awful, 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 awful. He is one of my biggest issues with the films. Yeah, I think, I think the one bit of credit I'll give him is he... Better than the first Dumbledore captures the energy of Dumbledore that was in the first few He's books. He's more alive. <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, the first but, actor couldn't quite capture that sprightly young energy. But everything else... Number one, he brings in this element of Dumbledore being dark and a bit scary way too early on. Yeah. Way, way, way too early on. And, and, and not in the right way. Not in the right way. It's a creepy in a, scary. Really in your face as well. Aggressive scary. Dumbledore was never like... He yeah, it, it was aggression. Whereas like Dumbledore, his sinister sides are in a very Packed, like a powerful. mindful way. Like yeah. he wasn't physically aggressive. Yeah, he was mind scary. He yeah. was scary in the brain. Yeah, Dawn French as the fat lady. Bit weird. Bit weird. 
Another moment where they were like comic relief. Dawn French. But who did they bring on first? Lenny Henry or Dawn French? <laughs> but but no, I love her, and I think no one else could have been the fat lady. I think the fat lady. Well, somebody else was in the first two films. <laughs> yeah, but, mm, who? I don't know. Bit who? You know, no one else could have been her iconically. I think that yeah, it's a bit of comic relief, but I think that is needed in films, and I think that that's the kind of character where you very easily can do it because even in the book, she's a lot of comic relief. So I really like Dawn French yeah, as her. I I like it. I found it a little bit jarring just because it's so different from the first two films, but I like it. Um, they did some random shit to Flitwick in this film. <laughs> that counts as adaption because they totally dressed uh, Warwick Davis up in a different look and was like, choir teacher. Also Flitwick. Um, Emma Thompson. Trelawney. Profty. Profty. I, pic- I picture her older in the books. Yes. However, love her. It's a crime that she wasn't given more screen time. Yeah. That's the main drawback. She's got like three minutes and she is... Just so good. She just fuck, just she, fucking runs with it. And yeah, it's a lot of moments it. of comic relief, but I think that's a lot down to the direction. Mm. But she just literally just like I, I think it's very easy when you're doing those kind of lines and playing that kind of character and doing this sort of like really heavy comic relief thing where you almost don't seem in character and it it comes across more as like a comedy routine than it does acting. Yeah. It's very, very easy, no matter how good you are at acting, where it just seems that doesn't happen with this. Like, she is so in that character, and and I love it. And she just plays this really weird, like, thespian version of yes. Trelawney yeah. that I just... No, I love it. Like, she does it. it, like, seamlessly. Yeah, she's amazing. This is where I wrote my note about the random Gryffindor kid. Um, apparently, he does have a name. Mm. Apparently, his name is something like Bim. <laughs> Bam. What? Bim bam. I, do, I don't know. Okay. Number one, if you're going to add another gra- random Gryffindor boy, put him in that random scene you did where they're all eating sweets. Yeah. Because he's wearing a Gryffindor tie in their classes, but wasn't in their dormitory. So mm-hmm. you're fucked up there. Number two, don't add an unnamed character just to have a black actor say lines. Congratulations. And, and they're just you've like screwed up. Really weird, like deep, like deep. deep. What 14 year old is walking around going, it's like trying to catch smoke. Yeah. It's like trying to catch smoke with your bare hands. He's just not there and then he just appears to say something weird and deep. And it does just like, considering I'm pretty sure those are the only two lines yeah. from like black people in these films. It just kind of is really weird. And then do you know what? Stereotyping. <laughs> like really weird. He would. And then do you know, do you know what they do with this, this actor? He moves houses three times over the course of the series of films. That's when you know that it's tokenism. Yup. Congratulations, film. Just and also, actually, you had other... The thing is, nothing against this actor at all. He's actually extremely talented. Yeah. But you had other characters who we know to be black. You have Dean Thomas. You have yeah. Lee Jordan. You have... Ange- Angelina Johnson was standing in one of the scenes. You could have given her some of the lines. She had them in the books and you didn't put them in. Yeah, and I mean, it, it, it's great to... If they just brought him in as a new character... That's great. Uh, that That's amazing because, you know, that's how you need to do it. I would argue that there are other Gryffindor boys that don't need to be white. Yes, well, precisely. And also, you have 
Dean Thomas as well. Like you could not cut his lines out. Like, yeah, but you've but, got some. You've got yeah, room to play but with. Like here. adding the characters, like adding characters that are people of color is great. Yeah, and, it's great. And you know that that can be through you know just making characters that may be perceived or are established in the books as white make them not white yeah. but also like just you can add him as a character but actually make him a character don't just flit him around into different houses like keep without it consistent, ever like, giving him a name yeah make it make it a thing because we we do need more non-white characters 100%. but they just do it in a weird racist way <laughs> no literally it's so not thought out it's there are so many better ways to do it and there are so many characters in harry potter where like most characters in harry potter the color of their skin is not specified so you do not need to make these decisions when you could easily cast main characters as like i don't want to swap emma thompson but why is why does professor trelawney have to be white why does lupin have to be white yeah. none of these even serious he yeah. doesn't have to be white like and actually that would make it very interesting if you made serious not white it would yeah yeah do uh, that yeah let's remake the film so <laughs> on to series gary oldman who my note on this is <laughs> that actor that looks so different in every film ever i like, didn't know him from other things and it wasn't that i hadn't seen him in other things it's that i didn't know it was he never same. looks the same it's, his face it just changes it honestly changes and he's so hot a serious thing then you see what he actually looks like and you're like that's not him yeah it's so weird. No, he's an incredible actor. I think I do like him as serious, but I, I he's not how I picture serious. No. But I like his interpretation. I do, but, but I, it's not I, how I, picture I him. really I would like to see serious as a bit more of like this kind of like immature, like playboy, kind of like fuckboy character who yeah. then has grown up physically. But not mentally. But not mentally yeah. and is really like regressed and like traumatized. Yeah. I think that's so much more interesting than just this like wise, smoldering, like way too old actor. Yeah, definitely. And finally, t- I think it's Timothy Spaulding. Yeah. You might have to check that. Yeah. Peter um, Pettigrew. Peter Pettigrew. I don't dislike him. I love him. Oh, okay. I don't actually what I don't like is the way they styled him to look so like ugly and rat like it's quite distracting it's like um what have you done to this man i i actually like that because i think if you spent 12 years as a rat i I like the connotation and i think that we have other things in the text we like all the time when people are animagises animagi that we have these things about how their animal ties into their appearance there's i can't remember the exact line but there is a line about serious at one point looking a bit doggish dog like um you know there's a whole (laughs) the cat with glasses Mm. that is professor mcgonagall like there's a lot of these lines and i think they're quite interesting because i like where it's just like you look a little bit like an animal that's going to be your animagus like you could guess it before by being like oh she's a bit horsey like like you know sarah jessica parker 100 percent animagus is a horse a horse um so I quite like that. So I, I like that he looks very rat-like because yeah. I think, especially like, I like the idea that if you spent so long as that the animal, no, that you kind of right. just become, I think it's a bit heavy-handed how he's doing the thing with the hands. He's, yeah. He's like, 
that's a bit on the nose. Yeah. I, well, the the one. So I, I I did really like him as an actor, and I think he he especially later on in the films, he's he's very very good in some of the later films. I just felt he overacted the bit in the shack a bit compared to the others who were very yeah. bouncing off each other. He was a bit much for me. Yeah. That might have been direction. Though. It might have been direction. Yeah. You're right. But overall, I do like him. I, I have two casting shout outs to give mm-hmm. to people who already existed. Well, kind of. The first one is Tom Felton's acting in this yep. film is so and much. His fringe. Be- the fringe. His acting in this film is so much better than everyone else his age. It's yeah. quite outstanding. Like it, it's kind of distracting because I love watching him on screen because yeah. he's so good and you're not meant to. That's pretty consistent of him though. Yes. Like later on, like which oh, is it the sixth book? Sixth. Oh yeah. Oh, boy, does he just blow that film out of the water. I know, I know. He's like, very a, talented. Like, obviously, he has had a good career since. But not but as good as I expected for how good no, his acting is. He, he could, but I, th- I think he has kind of gone that route where he does prefer to do the indie stuff. Definitely, yeah. Which, which is absolutely fair enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then the other thing I want to talk about that kind of ties into casting is just how outstanding the two minutes is with Snape, Remus, and Black. Yeah. The, the the way they bounce lines off of each other is like honestly world-class acting and it's one of the best acting moments in I think almost all the films and just the way they're all shouting at each other and the way it's all like the way they're all moving around each other is just so good and I had to mention it yeah something that I wanted to say on casting is how book two actual children book three teenagers like their puberty just Ooh. Yeah, it like, was it was a it, long gap. Between yeah, the films. and it is, but it's just so like it's startling. Like yeah. they were little children, and now they start to look like more adult. It yeah. it it's really in your face. But I forget how fast children once they start puberty do just go. Oh, yeah, because yeah, one hundred percent. But it's just like when you literally see it between the films. Exactly. No, they are two completely different films. And unfortunately, this is the film where the when Emma Watson is old enough, things started. Uh, uh, uh. I hate men. You were talking about how you felt elements of this film that would they were just in there for the sake of like leaving a mark. Yeah, that is exactly what happened. So the director of this film was someone called Alfonso Cuarón. He only directed this film. So the first two were Christopher Columbus. He specifically got brought on just to direct one film. He always said he only wanted to do one. And they brought him on because they wanted someone extremely different from Christopher Columbus to take the series in a different direction, to start moving it in that different direction. Alfonso Cuaron actually said that he was only going to read book three until another quite famous director said, you fucking read all the books that are available, you twat. But he quite literally did and he said openly in interviews he wanted to give this film a very different feeling and then leave the project basically Um, and he wanted to put his mark on it and I'm very much in two minds about the whole thing basically because this film is beautiful in so many ways and it is outstanding from a cinematography point of view but what that leaves the Potter series with is this one weird film that kind of stands out a bit and it's like an art project exactly And and that's not what it is like it, it's a YA series. Yeah, yeah. It's a very popular, like, YA series. It's not some arty-farty indie film. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's, it's beautiful in all the cinematography things it does, which I'm about to go into a lot of detail about. But the first two films are always going to stand alone as different. And then four to basically eight, although they had a few, two different directors, they, they match up quite well. Mm-hmm. And three is just weird. And it's it's just, it's weird. The first thing I want to talk about in cinematography is the famous long shot, which I was explaining to you 
before we started watching and you were like is this the shot so it's in the leaky cauldron when harry comes down for breakfast and when and it's the scene that turns into mr weasley telling him about black i believe the scene is something like three minutes and something long without a single cut being in there which is a very difficult thing to do especially when you have children <laughs> acting in it and the whole film utilizes this thing where the cameras are constantly on dollies or handheld there are barely any static shots most of the shots are wide angle so you know the first film it used to like do reaction shots like person 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 yeah this film prefers to just film the whole scene and stick that in there and this scene is the best example of that because they are literally filming the bar of the leaky cauldron and moving around and it, like Harry and Mr. Weasley are having this chat and all the acting is still going on in the background for the rest of the characters. And as they're moving around, they're being framed by different posters of Sirius Black. And as their conversation moves to Sirius Black, the posters become more and more in centre of frame. And then the light shifts around Harry and it's it's all very cleverly done. And I would love to ask someone how long it took to film because it's it's an intense scene. It's a really, really intense scene. No, I've got a note that I know that you disagree with. So I was okay. going to say... I think that this film commits the most to the 90s styling in terms of fashion. Particularly like the opening scenes with the Dursleys. Like the yeah. fashion styling is so 90s. Whereas I even, I feel like the first two were kind of just a lot more timeless. I feel like these are the ones where you're like, this is 90s. Yeah. Like it was very off a time. Yeah. And obviously the films aren't made in the 90s, but Harry Potter is set in the 90s. Yeah. And they like... The film, I find it a bit annoying that the films don't stick to that through and through. There are some yeah. films which commit to it more than others. I can see why. I think of all the details to drop, that's one of it's them. that because they do not need to be set in the 90s. And I think it's better if you make the films timeless. Like the books are very purposefully timeless. One of the only things that time them is like Harry mentions the uh, the PlayStation at yeah. one point. Um, so I think it's a good idea to try to give it the most generic fashion and the generic house and cars that you can. Yeah. The outside scenes after Harry storms out are beautiful because I just, yeah. they show England in just like a really real way where it's like, I don't know, it, it just looks like a real kind of like, yeah. um, like housing estate. No, it does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just like beautifully shot. And I think like the fact that like, it's a bit like wet outside and just like the kind of like- Did you notice Harry's breath rises in a fog? It's meant to be July. <laughs> We've talked about how it's cold in England before, but I've never known my breath to fog up in July. Yeah, but still. Still. But that's just part of the films being emo. Yeah. But like, it, it's just, it, it's beautiful. And like this blue light, blue light and like the sound of like him, uh, like walking along. And it's just, yeah. it's done really well. It, it is. is so atmospheric. It is. And the whole film is atmospheric and the whole film uses... <laughs> My, my GCSE English teacher is going to be so proud of me. Pathetic fallacy throughout. So mm-hmm. pathetic fallacy being when weather mirrors the feelings of the character or the feelings of the scene. So throughout the film that's utilised, there's a lot of rain and a lot of mist. And one of the only times it's sunny is, for example, when Harry is flying on Buckbeak and he feels very free and he's flying around Hogwarts. A lot of the other time there's a lot of rain and mist. Yeah. And they just use that really well because Scotland's really rainy. So it's not that. It's it's very accurate. Well done. <laughs> yeah. And the scene also when the train stops on the bridge. Oh, it's gorgeous. Good. Like so good. So then the Dementor is unreal levels of terrifying. And yeah. I don't find it terrifying because I watched it too many times. Yeah. Um but I can imagine like as a child watching for the this for the first time. Really scary. Yeah. Really, really well done. They went with the Dementors flying a bit more. I think in the books they don't really fly, they float. 
Mm. Uh, but I don't find the flying bad. It's quite yeah. good, but it's, I guess it's very scary. Get around. Like it, they can't just be like kind of limping Ooh. along like, you know, one of them's particularly jaunty. The other one's got a bit of a strut, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, they, they're definitely, they're very spooky. Mm-hmm. This film is scary, I think. I think it's yeah. scary. So this film uses the, I don't know the technical word for it. I should have looked it up, but basically um, white pan opening and closing mm-hmm. of uh, the lens. So it kind of opens in a circle and closes in a circle, which is what really, I think that's where I think they went too far in the stylizing. Yeah. So the first time you notice it is when Harry faints and then he um, wakes back up and it kind of makes sense there, but actually they use it throughout the film to end and begin almost every scene. And it, it very much marks it as an artsy film to choose this mm. c- c- circle close and circle open end. It's yeah. it's an odd, it's a very odd choice. Yeah. What annoys me about that scene is that it is filmed from like uh, again, I, I don't know the technical terms, but like from an outsider perspective, you know, it's not filmed from any of the characters' point of views. Yeah. It's just like you know from the camera, and yet the like effects on the camera is that is like from Harry's perspective exactly so when he's like passing out and things and everything goes really blurry and then you see lupin stand up but you only kind of see the motion and the the light and that kind of irritates me because i'm like this is either from harry's perspective or it's not when you kind of have this scene where you can't tell what's going on but it's also not from harry's perspective it just kind of seems a bit weird like it just annoys me a little bit like i get that it's a bit artsy and i and i get why you're being like oh you can't really tell what's going on and it's mirroring i get that it's mirroring yeah. harry's state but it's just i think it's like the moment lupin stands up i think that's what annoys me because i'm like you can't see what's going on cuz you're half passed out but also you're not harry harry is in the shot yeah yeah, no, me. you're right. The decision I think that was a really good decision was them to put their foot down and decide to remake Hogwarts. So it completely breaks beginning to end of film canon. Like there is a clear difference in the first two films, the last two films. Like literally Hagrid's house is in a different place. Hogwarts yeah. is completely different. However, if they were going to do it at some point, it makes the most sense to do it now. Later on would have been too far. Mm-hmm. And I'm so glad they did do it because I think that it really steps the films up a lot. Um, yeah. So even though it kind of ruins that overarchingness of all the films, like Hogwarts is literally rebuilt over summer, I would prefer they do it than they not do it, so that they can have nicer filming locations. To be honest, like I I'm agree. fine with it. You know what I what what the thing is about this film? What? It's a film where all the men's hair starts to get a little bit, little bit out of control. A little bit, little bit. Namely, especially Lupin's weird boy band haircut. He's like. It's so it's so overgrown, and I think it's supposed to be like, oh, he's so poor, he can't have a haircut. Look how how dishevelled he is. But literally, just comes across like a boy band. Aside from you know, that's all the men's. But then Hermione has supermodel hair this entire what the film. Fuck is that? And hair? it fills me with rage. Like this is where it goes from her being this like cute little girl with literally the like bushy mousy hair to then suddenly like oh i've got model hair is that is that what it looks like like from from the the back back. oh no No. and the the films just get worse from here on out with hermione's hair like it becomes basically ringlets and then it becomes sleek waves and i'm like it was an integral part of our character this bushy hair you literally had one job to not worry about this like to, to have a female in the film whose hair did not have to look perfect all the time and you couldn't even commit to it because you're too scared to not let a woman look done in a film you're too scared but like even like she's 
as well. Like, yeah, her, like yeah, she shouldn't have to be gorgeous, no. but she is so gorgeous that yeah. even with like, you know, huge bushy hair, which is not even a bad thing, no, but even with thing. like big bushy hair, she would still look incredible. Yeah, Emma Watson is I mean, such a gorgeous actress. She should be allowed to not look incredible. Yeah, especially for the character that she's playing, but. Yeah. It, it just wasn't necessary, but they just start to give her this, like, supermodel hair, and I'm just, no. No, and that's what, you, you're right, like, the books kind of came, they, they, they said Hermione had bushy hair, and it was kind of framed as a bad thing, but by the end of the books, we love Hermione so much, they were like, yeah, bushy hair, like, how fucking cool. And the films are like, but bushy hair isn't typically pretty, so we have to get rid of it. It's like, the books were making a point about not needing all this yeah. stuff is typically and, pretty. And, it, and it's part of her character and it's important. And it, it and is it, important. It, Hair is fucking important. And it makes the bit in the next um, film when she comes down after her makeover so much less impactful. Yeah, I'm like, great. She <laughs> like, looks the same. She literally just looks the same. Yeah. And this is one of the reasons that I so am on board with, now in my head, Hermione being a person of colour. Like like whatever that may be just because i think that like there is so much of her character tied into her hair and there's like there's a lot you could do with that with someone yeah. of color and really bring the how important her hair is into the importance and like everything that is tied to people of colors like black women's hair is something that is very like politicized yeah and i think that it adds a lot to her character if hermione was black like yeah it just does I agree. Yeah. yeah, it absolutely does. It ties into the story of her hair, basically. And I think it's stupid when we say that hair isn't important because I think we have this image of society of like our hair needs to look pretty, but we don't want to we don't want to let people think it's important because that's all girly. Yeah. Hair is important to women's stories. Like hair is an essential part of pe- pers- people's stories. It's a part of everyone's story. Like Yeah. One of my favourite parts of this film that's completely lost later on and I think is such a shame is Prof T's classroom it is brilliant so obviously it looks like theatre it's got yeah. like the leveled seating yeah, so yeah. it's like and I think this plays in really well to Emma Thompson's portrayal of the characters this like thespian really really theatrical and obviously there's the whole metaphorical thing behind it about how you know everything well not everything but you know everything with her is an act and it's yeah. all it's all fake yeah. and i think you know it's a tiny bit on the nose but i like it i and like I, it. And it and it makes it quirky like later on they just kind of have those like small little like round tables but yeah. i think this is a really nice way to make it different yeah. without it being boring yeah i really like it talking of kind of classrooms and classroom scenes the boggart scene is one of the most incredible <laughs> scenes in this film so we start off with the camera facing the wardrobe and we're seeing the class through the mirror of the wardrobe but then the camera enters through the mirror. So this is kind of like from a literal sense, the entire scene is taking place within the mirror because at the end of the scene, the camera goes back towards the wardrobe, switches round and comes back out the other side, which means the entire scene was taking place in the reflection of the wardrobe, which is, I'm gonna stop talking about the weird choice this film makes and just rave about how fucking great they are because they make weird choices, but they're so, so cool. This film continually uses panning effects and glass. Like you'll see lots of impossible camera movements where it goes through glass, through water, through this, through this. And I wrote down, like I was trying to think of reasons why they might have chosen this for Harry Potter. And the one thing I could come up with, especially with the bogger in the wardrobe scene is like, 
Alice Through the Looking Glass. Like that with Harry Potter, you're entering into a different world and it's a world much like the one you live in and many things are the same, but also everything is slightly different, like Alice Through the Looking Glass. And I think that's a, if that's what they were going for, it's a really cool tie-in. It also just looks fucking cool. Mm-hmm. Just, it's great. Well done. Why is there a decapitation height pendulum in the entrance hall of the school? It's a really good height to kill someone. That's, that's how detentions used to be. It's so Dumbledore through and through. Yeah, it is. The scene where Harry's got the Marauder's Map and he's walking around the school and he sees Peter Pettigrew's name on the map. As he sees Peter Pettigrew's name, the sound effect is an ever so slight scurry. Yeah. Scurry, scurry, scurry. And it continues until Peter Pettigrew's name leaves the map. And obviously it's the kind of thing you're first watching, you wouldn't really notice it. It would just be background noise. Mm-hmm. And then once you start watching again, you're like, oh, the scurrying. Yeah. Very clever. It's very cool. Yeah. So in the last scene, the last, not scene, the last section of the film, the trio are put in their clothes, which have, will then become their colours for the remaining films. So basically the new costume designer for film three, and she continued throughout all the films, decided she wanted each of the main three characters to have a colour palette so that she could always pull from the same colour palette and to identify like the differences between them. Unfortunately, I think her colour palette was out of whack. So Ron's was right. She got kind of maroons and oranges and you'll mm-hmm. see Ron now on wearing, always wearing maroons and oranges. She gives Harry blues, which is fine. And then she gives Hermione pinks. <laughs> Because she has no imagination. Exactly. So that's why Hermione wears a pink dress in mm. film four. That's why she wears a pink hoodie in the final battle of film eight. You'll note there's all these jokes about Harry always wearing the same blue t-shirt. It's kind of because he's meant to have not many clothes, but also it's because he's meant to always be wearing blue colours. Harry should have been wearing green and Hermione should have been wearing blue. Like, stupid. But yeah. I like the fact that they gave them distinctive colour palettes. I think that's a really nice thing to do. I just hate the colour palettes that they gave them. Yeah. I agree. And then the last note I had about cinematography was about the sound design of basically the final section of the film. So first off, when they first go back in time, when the time turner goes round, they put in a ticking sound into the score and there's a constant ticking sound. Mm -hmm. That ticking sound is there until they arrive back in the hospital wing. That ticking sound is constant for the last 20 minutes of the film. And then there's also the dongs, which I love. So like whenever they like change something, so like just after they save Buckbeak, you hear along with the ticking noise, dong, dong, dong. And it's, so you don't really notice it because they put it into the score, but it's there and it's so good. And it's so good. And it like reminds you subtly that there's, you know, they're kind of still going through time yeah, and, and that they're like under a countdown. And yeah. I love it. I it's love it. really, really good. It is. Because it, 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 it gives you this feeling of this sense of foreboding and this tension. Because the ticking is always there and ticking for me especially makes me feel very like anxious. I don't like mm. ticking clocks. So it gives you this feeling of like time is moving. You've got to do this. Yeah. And then the last note I had about the score is basically the two Patronus scenes. So the first time you see the Patronus scene, Harry's dying on the ground with Sirius. And the score has basically a cacophony of noise they've got um these horns blaring they've got a choir but you can't really hear them they sound a bit blurred they've got kind of this violin going and it's it's very mixed and a bit weird and then when you see the patronus theme for the second time when harry cast the patronus you basically just hear one half of the score you just hear the choral voices and the violin all the horns and stuff are gone mm. and you basically realize when you then rewatch it the first time what you were hearing was the same score from the second time but it's almost like they were fighting each other like they basically put two scores together and made them fight each other yeah and then the second time you hear it you're just hearing one half of it and it's just such a clever way to do the two halves of the scenes like the 
the, the score in all of Harry Potter is amazing, but the first two films are kind of similar. They don't really add too many new tracks in. This film adds a lot of new tracks into the score and they're all wonderful. I yeah. love them. Can we talk about the awful CGI werewolf? Yeah. It's annoying because the, the hippogriff is so good. And yeah, but who was just like, let's make the werewolf bored? Why? That's not what a wolf is. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's the thing. Like, a werewolf... Because literally... Okay, so <laughs> they really ruin this by having Snape say, can anyone tell me the differences between a werewolf and a normal wolf? And, like, it's meant to be that it's really hard to distinguish between them. Like, in the books, it's like, the snout is slightly longer. In the films, like, there's literally no point asking that question because a normal wolf looks like a wolf and this wolf looks like a weird, hairless spider. <laughs> yeah. Like, if I remember correctly, I think there was another film, Van Helsing, that came out around mm. the same time as this film that also had a werewolf in that was also terrible CGI. Oh, I think this was just like the year like awful cgi for werewolves but i just don't get why it's bald like it, it's bald. It, it looks crap and it's it not a wolf. so much better like it as just, a wolf yeah it's um, a werewolf make it a wolf yeah also sirius's prison tats why it's a weird decision from the makeup it's department it's so weird like who who like under you know the, the head makeup artist of the no no but who like under the effect of the dementors in azkaban was doing prison tats and what would make Sirius I feel like Sirius because he's not in there for you know he's the right innocent. reasons he, he's an innocent good person he it's Bellatrix Bellatrix he, is doing he wouldn't them. want to have anything that would tie him to those kinds of people let alone have them tattoo him it makes no sense nope. and it's just this really ill thought out choice and then my last thing that kind of comes under cinematography just that I love the time turner this is just it's beautiful genius like prop design like you could have gone so simplistic with the time turner but they just did something beautiful but not too over the top yeah and the fact is like i only found out that there's words printed on the outside the time turner when i saw like the the one that they remake but that's in the real time turner like they have these words printed about like you'll have to look up what the words are but they're really beautiful um yeah oh no it's so good so good adaption adaption Adaption. this is where the films start to go rogue it really is we both know that we happily happily would just have like a book or film see uh tv or film series of just word for word yep 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 yep. and i know that that can't be the reality don't get me wrong but my issue with this book is just the fact that it cuts out all of the plot that is needed to make not only this film makes sense but later films make sense it cuts all of that for the sake of aesthetics and yes aesthetics and atmosphere in film is important like of course it is as well as you know those kind of like entertainment moments and the action moments and the comedic moments like they're all needed and there there is a balance and i get that you know sometimes plot has to fall by the wayside but this film doesn't make sense but it has so many it's just the number of these moments are just in there for aesthetic and no other reason there is so many of them and it's just like you're really you're picking this like you know this stupid like panning scene or this stupid moment between the boys or or this joke or that these like moments that are literally in there just to contribute to the aesthetic and you're putting them in there when there's too many. I'm sorry, there's too many. It's such a slow film for the first half because there's just so many of these stupid aesthetic moments. And you're choosing those to have too many of them over actually including the plot. See, I, what I found really weird about this film is that they got 
a lot of the big parts of the plot. And there's so many things that they almost got that wasn't even like they would have had to cut another scene to fit in. It just would have taken half a line. It's like, I think this film really started to rely on the fact that people were reading the books. Because mm. for starters... When it shouldn't have. No, it never should. So for starters, the entire Scabbers and Crookshanks thing is basically cut out and boiled down to like this one line. So yeah. we don't know that there's some weird... So the Scabbers thing seems to come out of nowhere. Because yeah. we don't have... Crookshanks kind of suspects him. Scabbers is getting skinny. We don't have all of that. The... We don't have confirmation that the Marauders were the marauders it's never confirmed we don't have the explanation about how sirius knew where scabbers was yep yep none of it makes sense so then yeah you've got all of these like just atmosphere building moments and it's like this is not an art project Uh, this is a ya kind of like you know a fantasy action film yeah (laughs) you can't just no yeah i know i know and there are some additions which really work which don't take away any time from what could have been plot there's additions like tiny things like when dumbledore's like lock down the school you see the doors closing themselves Mm. and all these things coming around that's never mentioned the books and is fucking cool like it looks great i love any moment that personifies hogwarts exactly there's a bit where when draco passes harry the doodle the the doodle of him like being hit by lightning at quidditch but it's an animated doodle because it's a magic doodle that's brilliant because that's how magic should work in a school yeah you always pass notes in a school but now it's a magic doodle Mm -hmm. that's really good but don't Mm -hmm. don't yeah yeah and then it's just the volume of those moments yeah that aren't needed i think this film to me there's not one big thing that they cut out that ruins it they cut out so many small things that's where it falls down yeah but they also change things that have nothing to do with time i understand changes to do with time i hate them but i understand this film where it really ruins itself for me is where it just makes changes for the sake of making changes so my two biggest ones are the ones with ron we knew this was coming. Yeah. We don't even need to do it. No. Well, we've the, done it. We have. But the first one is Ron says he's got a point to Snape <gasps> calling Hermione and know it all. Melissa has already covered this in the episode with her. We don't need to go over it again. But. And then. It bad. It bad. And then the second one is Hermione takes Ron line, Ron's line of if you want to kill Harry, you'll have to kill us too. Yeah. And I think it just shows like basic... I'm not going to go over why it's bad because we've gone over that in a lot of detail. But mm-hmm. I think it just basically shows how negligent Steve Cloves, who was the scriptwriter, was about these characters. Like he literally cared more about his interpretation of these characters than what was actually written on the page. He had this idea of Hermione and Ron that was so different to the books and he did things like this and it just assassinated the characters and this is a trend that continues with Hermione and Ron mm-hmm. and it's I think those two bits completely let the film down for me to the point where I find it those bits so difficult to watch like they are painful to me yeah they also give Hermione the Buckbeak realisation that was meant to be Harry's mm. Harry was meant to realise that Buckbeaks can survive but Hermione realises that is that all? Is that's all? yeah the last bit is they move the fireball bit to the end of the film I think because they wanted something happy to end on like how the first two mm. films have something happy, so they were like, oh, put the firebolt thing at the end. Yeah. And have that, which yeah. it's not the most annoying thing. It's fine. Yeah. So, Hannah, overall, what do you think of this film? Oh, I'm so mixed minds about this one. Okay, I really enjoy the process of watching this film. It's a very enjoyable film it to is. watch. It's not boring. It's very atmospheric. It draws you in. It's got all sorts of interesting things to look at. And it also rewards you with each watch. Like, there are some films which 
Uh, see, I don't find this film a stick on in the background film. I always find myself watching this film because every time you watch it, you notice something new. The Neville drop that you mentioned. Yeah. All these little details are hidden in there, which aren't it is really full in, of wonderful details, which aren't really in the other films. But they just cut all these little bits out and changed all these little things. Nothing big. All these little things, and it just starts to ruin it. Mm. And it also starts a trend, which, like the first two films, tried to be very book loyal, and any changes they made were like. In the name of... For a reason. This film is the one that starts the trend that ends up ruining the films. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. I I feel like before I thought I loved this film. And Mm. I do love this film. It's a very good watch. It's an enjoyable watch. Yeah. But I now really, really dislike it like as an adaption oh, no. and kind of like as a standalone film. Yeah. Like you couldn't just release it, the books didn't exist, you couldn't release this as a film. It mm. doesn't make any sense no. and it would be trash as a standalone film. It annoys me that it's treated as an art project rather than respecting that it's part of a series and a YA series and that it's just not an art project. It overall harms the franchise. I think it does add some wonderful, wonderful uh, bits in terms of you know, the art direction behind it and the cinematography, but in terms of plot, it really does a lot of damage. So yeah, I I am mixed. I really, really enjoy watching this film. I hate everything else about it. Do you know what I actually really kind of would like after having watched this film? I would love to see what Alfonso Cuaron could have done with film eight. Because I think that's the kind of film that doesn't rely on the plot. Like, yeah. you've, you've just got the action. And I think he's very good at that. So I really would have liked to see how he would have done film eight. Yeah. I think it could have made... That would have been really fascinating. But at the same time, like, that's then too late to throw so oh, many obviously. spanners into the I just, I'm just saying, I don't want it as film eight. I just want to see what he would have done with it. Like, I'd like an alternative. <laughs> I would like to have seen him do the entire thing. Because if he had done the entire franchise... I feel like he would have been more respectful towards the plot because it would have been yeah. shooting himself in the foot. I feel like he didn't care about the plot. Oh, he didn't. He, he knew was like, he was going to move on. This is someone else's problem. No, he literally did think that. He was exactly. like, I know I'm going to move on, so I'll do what I want and someone else can pick up the pieces. Exactly. So. And um, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We're funny over there. Uh, Charlie smashed a glass earlier. The video exists. It does. If you haven't seen it, go seek it out on yep. Instagram, Facebook. No, yeah, Twitter. It's one of the funniest moments to ever happen. Bye. Bye. Love you. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Goblet of Wine. To find us on social media, search at Goblet of Wine Pod on Twitter or at Goblet of Wine Podcast on Instagram. We also have a website over at www.gobletofwine.co.uk where you can keep up with everything that we do. This podcast is produced by our wonderful Hufflepuff tier patrons, Amanda, Danny, Mark, Veronica, Sandra and Nathan. If you'd like to support this podcast, check out our Goblet of Wine Patreon where you can also gain access to bonus episodes, behind the scenes content and our Discord. Thank you so much for listening to this episode and we'll see you in the next one. Bye! Bye.